right, three, two, one. I'll start in in Russian because it's a Russian-speaking podcast. So, okay. So I'll just explain my listeners. If you uh, start happening. in Russian, you're going to have to then put on your mad translation hat <laughs> and show some emotion when you uh, speak in English. Absolutely. So, здравствуйте, дамы и господа. Это Азизи подкаст, и сегодня я буду, как и обещал, говорить на английском языке. Потому что в гостях у меня очень важный-важный человек, который не говорит на русском языке, или, по крайней мере, не хочет говорить на русском языке. Его зовут Том Лофлер, или как в русскоязычном интернете его называют Том Лефлер. I'm saying, for some reason, they call you Leffler instead of Loffler in, in, in Russia, in, okay. in Kazakhstan. I've been called worse. <laughs> Anyways, so, all right, so now back to my English-speaking uh, audience. You're probably thinking, like, what the hell is Azizi podcast, and... Uh, what it's all about. I'll, I'll tell you right away, um, for all you boxing and Tom Loeffler fans and Triple G fans, it's this is not a boxing podcast. This is not even a sports podcast. This is something that I started just uh, a month and a half ago where I am just talking to my friends about random stuff, you know, and um, about their professions, life, and all of that. It's in Kazakhstan. All of them pretty much live in Kazakhstan, but right now I'm in Los Angeles. So I've decided to take on this opportunity and talk to my friends here, um, who some of them do not speak Russian, and one of them is my great friend Tom Loeffler. Tom, welcome. Thanks, Samir. It's great to be on the Azizi podcast. I've heard a lot of great reviews <laughs> from Kazakhstan, and uh, yeah, it, uh, we'll, we won't talk boxing or sports. We'll talk life here on the uh, Azizi podcast. Right. Well, we'll we'll talk some boxing just because I'm interested in the industry overall. But we're um, we're definitely not going to touch some of the uh, subjects that, or topics that has been discussed so many times on the internet on in other shows that it's just really boring, at least for me. And in this podcast, I'm just talking about things that are interesting uh, to me. So, uh, Tom, the first thing that I learned about you, well, not the first thing, but when I started to uh, keep in touch with you more, I realized that you are speaking fluent uh, German. Yes. How does how does this happen? And uh, did you, is it something that you just taught yourself? Or or are you like from Germany? How does this work? No, I was born here in Los Angeles, uh, but my parents are both from Germany. So they actually uh, came to America separately and met each other here in Los Angeles. And uh, uh, I wasn't uh, raised necessarily with German, uh, speaking fluently, but I learned it, uh, I went uh, once a year to visit uh, our grandparents um, to Germany, and then I kind of picked it up, and it became very helpful uh, later on when I was working with the Klitschko brothers, uh, then with the business German, you know, reviewing contracts and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, press conferences in Germany, doing the uh, promotions in Germany, it uh, really helped out quite a bit, and uh, my relatives are still in Germany, so I go back to visit them when I'm over there in Europe, and uh, it, it's uh, definitely a useful tool. As, as you know, speaking a second language or a third language is uh, very mm -hmm. uh, helpful and, and can be uh, you know, very beneficial uh, in life. And especially, you know, we see with the athletes, where you want a boxer, for example, wants to um, market themselves to the biggest fan base possible, so Gennady, for example, he lived in Germany. He picked up some German uh, when he was uh, when he first turned pro. Then he came to the U.S., picked up English, and then training with Abel Sanchez, picked up some uh, words of Spanish. So mm -hmm. you know, it's always good to relate uh, to your different fan bases. 
You know, I'm really jealous because I myself come from uh, a multicultural family. My mom is Ukrainian and my father is from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And all my life I can hear my father speak Afghan or Farsi or Dari, uh, whatever you call it, the language. And uh, he, you know, a bunch of his brothers came and, you know, his friends were always around. There were like parties and they all were speaking language. But I have never, ever picked up on the language. And even till this this day... I can hear my father speaks to speak to his brothers or uh-huh. his friends or whatever, and I have no idea what's he talking about. So that's definitely something. So, something Maybe that was on purpose. <laughs> I know. From your father's side. Well, the way so you wouldn't be able to understand that. Exactly. It's the way how my mom explains. I'm like, mom, like, what the hell? How come I, you know, don't speak his language? Yeah. And then a lot of his friends and family like always like, how come you don't speak our language? Yeah. Like, what's happening? Did your mom ever pick it up? No, neither she. Yeah, and and she says like I think originally because we came from Kazakhstan and my father immigrated to Soviet Union for studying and he was like the super communist guy, you know, like uh, there was some sort of a program, Afghan students will go to to Soviet Union then come back and all of that. So he really kind of suppressed the whole um, Afghan culture. Maybe I, I think that's my guess and that's my mom guess. And so he didn't really enforce that language on me as in like oh you're supposed to know my language or anything like that so uh-huh. that's that's why i don't i don't i don't you know speak it but yeah but this is great that you're that you speak you know several languages that's it, it helps a lot and uh unfortunately uh you know working with the klitschko brothers and with triple g and so many uh, other russian speaking athletes you know sorry Bolachuk now mm-hmm. and uh ali akhmedov it uh murat gasiev it uh it um you know, uh, really, my Russian should be better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't get too much uh, practice. I can understand some of the words, but uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, beneficial when you're traveling in a foreign country and you can speak that language. You're light years ahead of uh, mm. if you uh, if you don't speak the language. Like for example, Paris. Uh, I've been to Paris a number of times, and uh, after the second time, I've sworn I'm not going to go to Paris without someone who speaks fluent French. <laughs> Because there, it's pretty extreme uh, if you don't speak the language. So. You know, it's funny because uh, I, I visited my sister in Switzerland and uh, she actually picked up on French as well. Uh-huh. Um, and she just learned German too. She's, okay. she's crazy smart. Yeah, Swiss is one of those countries, uh, you know, yeah. German, French, Italian. Yeah, and, and the beginning yeah. with French is just like, oh my God, what a beautiful language. Oh, like so romantic or yeah. whatever. But when you're hearing it on the daily basis and you don't understand it, you kind of go crazy. Uh, so that's uh, <laughs> what I learned. Um, but hey, okay, so uh, you become bilingual as a child by learning from it. But like, tell me about your um, career, because I know that boxing was not something that you started right away. And uh, I know that you're from, from Los Angeles originally, and you went to Cal State Northridge, right? That's that's what I know from the public sources. Yep, that's correct. What, uh, was, your, what was your major? My major was in finance and real estate. My uh, father... Uh, was a real estate broker here in Los Angeles, so that was really uh, my uh, focus uh, growing up and studying was to to go into the real did estate you, did field. You, did you pick that ma- major for yourself, or yeah. is it just mm-hmm. like, oh, my dad does real estate, I'll do the, the real estate? No, I, I picked it. You? It was actually a double major. Finance, finance always interested me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, investing um, different uh, mm-hmm. stocks and. You know, various investments and then, uh, and, you know, structuring business operations. And then uh, the real estate was uh, was actually a double major. And uh, uh, that allowed me to get my broker's license when I was uh, pretty young, right after college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I went first into real estate finance when uh, people were doing, uh, buying houses, doing uh, mortgage loans. And then I, with my broker's license, I went into the real estate sales. So that's really, uh, that was my field. 
Um, but did you know exactly what you're getting into? Like, because when I started college and I went to UCSB, I was trying to find a business major all over the place. And mm. I was 17, just fresh, you know, from Kazakhstan, barely know English, uh, learning it in the like a language school, and I don't even know how the university system works in the United States. And I was mm. trying to find some business majors, but because I was already in Santa Barbara at that time. There was UCSB right there, right. Right? but they didn't have any business majors. They had economics and accountants. Oh, okay. So I did not know. I picked economics and accounting, but I had no idea what either of that actually means. Mm-hmm. Like when you actually went to finance and real estate, yes, your father does real estate, so you sort of know what he's doing. But when you went to finance, did you actually know like, okay, I'm going to learn about investing. I'm going to learn about passive and, and all of that. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of different... Uh economic theories and you know investment strategies um, that you learned as uh, the finance major and like I said I figured uh, that would help me later in life regardless of what field uh, I actually wound up uh, doing you know just the basic uh, business knowledge and skills and experience but really Samir the most uh, I gotta say the best uh, courses and uh, school of learning is just practical experience you know college is important to give you a fundamental base and give you, you know, your basic knowledge. But, uh, you know, I know a lot of book smart people mm-hmm. that uh, in the real world just weren't uh, successful, didn't have the um, skills uh, to put that book knowledge uh, to use to become successful in the business world. Um, you know, and I also know a lot of people that didn't go to college necessarily that, uh, have become successful, but uh, I always advocate. I think the uh, uh, definitely going to university is important for a foundation. You can always mm-hmm. fall back on that, um, just depending on if you uh, don't succeed in one venture, then you can use that fundamental knowledge to go into a different direction. Um, but it really is important your practical experience. I, mm-hmm. uh, when I was going to school, uh, I was doing an internship at, uh, I remember, a Coast Savings and Loan. So mm-hmm. we were doing, uh, we were actually reviewing mortgages. And, um, yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting uh, experience. And then that led to doing, uh, generating real estate loans and mortgages. Mm-hmm. So you got your license really early, you say? Yeah, because if you did a four-year program in real estate, then uh, that, uh, took the place of you need to have, I think, four years of a salesperson's license experience in order to get your broker's license. But at that time, with your uh, four-year degree in real estate, then uh, that allowed you the experience to go into uh, to get the broker's license. And so once you got this license, you're like, all right, it's time to make some deals. Like, you, How does this work? You're, you went on to... I'm, I'm not really good at the like real estate, how it's structured. Mm-hmm. So does the license allow you to be basically be the broker, right, to sell houses? Or yeah, does this work? that allowed me to uh, sell houses or to uh, do mortgage loans, mm-hmm. uh, real estate loans. So I worked for a, a mortgage company uh, originally, and then as I got involved on the sports side, uh, the, the way I got involved in the sports business was a friend of mine from high school, he was rep- representing uh, retired athletes, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, big-name athletes. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I actually came in because of my financial background. I came in more on the financial side, helping him expand uh, his business. And um, So how did you how, – how does this – because I read about that as well. How did that actually happen? He just says, hey, Tom, 
I have this business thing. I'm, I'm helping out athletes. I need someone with the numbers. I need a numbers guy right away. Yeah, he wanted to expand. And, you know, in those type of businesses, when you're working with high-profile clients, mm-hmm. uh, you want to deal with uh, people that you trust and that mm-hmm. you've known for a long time, that are reliable. And, uh, you know, I never really uh, envisioned going into the boxing business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so know. at that time, you didn't even know that, like, you weren't really focused on boxing. No. Uh, that, that, at that time, our, our first deal that we did, actually related to Russia, was uh, uh, he specialized in uh, sports memorabilia. And so, okay, so, so your friend specializes in sports mem- memorabilia. Yeah. And his clients are basically the brand ambassadors. Those um, not brand ambassadors so much as that they were his clients. He would represent them. Because those uh, were big names. I remember you very, mentioned some. Very can big you, names. Can you mention some of the names? Sure. Um, some of the names that he represented, um, uh, Joe Namath, mm-hmm. uh, Sandy Koufax, you know, really legendary names over here in America. Uh, Jim Brown, famous running back, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he got into representing these um, famous athletes is he, he was doing uh, baseball card shows, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, were known for, you know, you would get a high-profile name, the public would come to get an autograph, so they would pay, uh, the organizers of these shows would pay the athlete an appearance fee. So he was doing the shows, and he was paying the appearance fees, and then he, he thought, you know, because he was just doing, one, he was just one of many shows, and then he was thinking, you know what, uh, instead of some of these other shows taking advantage of the guys that I'm working with, I'll just represent them, raise their fees, for appearing on other people's shows, increase their market value, mm-hmm. increase the value of their signatures. You know, right. there's a whole theory behind the supply and demand. So if an athlete signed a lot of autographs, then, you know, their signature Supplies was pretty common. Right. And then down. the price went down. Yeah. So he structured the deals, uh, raised the price of the autographs, made it a little bit more, not exclusive, but made it more, uh, the, the, the items that they would sign were mm-hmm. higher end items. And, uh, then he was generating more value, uh, for the, uh, for his clients, for the clients. Yeah. yeah. I remember a story he, he told where Muhammad Ali would get like $5,000 for a weekend, uh, as an appearance when he first started with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, he raised that uh, exponentially to what uh, Muhammad's value was, was worth That's fair. at okay. that time. And, uh, uh, I did actually did a uh, appearance with Ali over in Germany, which also helped with my with the German language. But mm-hmm. uh, when the Ali film with Will Smith came out, yeah, uh, uh, there was a small city in eastern Germany at the time. Right, that was right after the wall came down, or a couple of years after the wall came down. But this city wanted to compete with some of the bigger Western. Uh, Germany cities uh, like Frankfurt or Munich or Hamburg, uh, just in profile. You okay. know, uh, you know the celebrities, the concerts, the sporting events would go to these big cities, and not so much um, to the smaller cities, especially smaller cities in the east. So uh, he was a boxing fan. There was a mayor of uh, the city called Riza in uh, East Germany. Uh, they were famous. Uh, they got a new uh, Volkswagen plant. Uh, there uh, as part of the reunification of Germany mm-hmm. and uh, he thought it would be great uh, to have Muhammad Ali who arguably uh, was the most famous person in the world at that time at least the most recognizable person and uh, uh, it was big headlines for the small city that uh, Ali came to Germany we did the premiere the so you Ger- were a part German of that premiere. as well yeah, I, I organized that yeah I got wow. the, the mayor put up a big guarantee 
uh, for Ali to fly over there for three days uh, to Germany. Um, you know, everything was, uh, you know, first class travel for him and, you know, nice hotel room and the whole thing. And, you know, and, and with that uh, VW factory, you know, they had the highest end VW um, at the time, uh, VW Phaeton, which was supposed to, you know, compete with the S class Mercedes. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great event. And, uh, the interesting thing about Ali was, uh, he really appreciated, uh, the people that were his fans or that adored him, you know, Mm -hmm. that really, uh, appreciated his career. He appreciated their, you know, support of them. So when he came to Germany and a lot of these, a lot of the people uh, that met him, they were crying because it was so emotional for them where they were watching his fights with their parents or, you know, particularly with their father, you know, like four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. And naturally that's a childhood memory. You don't forget, you know, when there's an Ali fight and everyone's like, you know, sitting around the, t- the TV or, you know, uh, the family sitting around the TV and uh, that really connected, you know, when they were then, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old. And, uh, it was, you know, pretty emotional meeting, you know, their father's hero, mm-hmm. uh, which then became their hero. And, uh, you know, Ali, uh, you know, he had the Parkinson's, uh, disease and, and, uh, you know, the jet lag and, you know, tired from the trip. And, uh, he, I remember there was one night we kept, we got home late. It's like 10 o'clock at night, maybe 1030. And, uh, you know, everyone wanted to go upstairs and, uh, you know, he uh, insisted on staying down in the lobby and signing uh, autographs for his fans. Uh, so it, uh, like, for at least an hour, he stayed down in the lobby. Um, so that's a lesson for all the younger athletes out there that uh, I always try to really emphasize. When the greatest of all time, you know, is able to take time out of his uh, day to appreciate his fans, you know, it really uh, that should be a learning lesson for uh, other athletes. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Ali is the greatest of all time yeah. and uh, such an amazing athlete and just a, not just an athlete, but just a, such a, you know, just culturally he affected a lot of people and he, you know, implied, implicated a lot of change in the United States sure. politically. I mean, not only know. in the United States, but worldwide, uh, you know, Africa, African nations. He was very close with uh, Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he pushed for Mandela to, uh, to be released and, uh, you know, when they had the standoff uh, in the Middle East, and I think they had the hostages there, he flew over there, put himself in harm's way. Mm-hmm. But because he was so respected, uh, you know, in those cultures, in the Islam cultures. Absolutely, being a Muslim as well. Yeah, that uh, he was able to get the American hostages released. And uh, it really, uh, you know, he, he uh, was a very special, uh, special person. It's unbelievable to have such an influence where there are two fractions, right? Two sides that are fighting each other to death. But both of those sides just really love and appreciate Muhammad Ali yeah. and can really find some sort of uh, points of uh, where they can go alone, where he can actually negotiate, he can mediate the, this conflict and with his persona alone. Yeah. Ali was really, I would say, just transcended uh, you know, sports, politics, uh, religion. Uh, nationalities, race. I mean, he was really uh, at the, everybody respected him, you know, especially maybe not while he was during his career where a lot of people thought he was brash and loud, loud mouth, but uh, certainly what he stood for after, uh, afterwards, you know, a lot of people realized that, uh, you know, his position on race and, you know, the Vietnam war and all these things later, they would appreciate that, uh, you know, he, he actually, uh, you know, uh, really stood for his ideals and, 
and uh, people realized later on, you know, many years later that, you know, he was right on, on all these issues that were, you know, principles of his. So, you know, you'd have to say, I mean, there's so many great legends in the world, whether, you know, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, you know, who were very influential. But Ali, I would say, on an international basis is so... Uh, loved and respected and, you know, really could move mountains uh, when you think about it uh, as to what he was able to accomplish. And he was always um, involved with charitable events. Uh, definitely, um, you know, his charity and and uh, um, especially like for the Parkinson's uh, disease and things like that, he, he definitely uh, gave back, uh, so to speak, to uh, to society everything that he was able to, uh, to accomplish. So... How old were you when you started working with him the first time? You said you threw some events together. Yeah, his name is uh, Harlan Warner. Harlan actually comes to uh, some of the Hollywood Fight Nights. Is and, that uh, that's your, a friend of yours? That was, uh, yeah, that's, oh, cool. my, that's my friend. Uh, still my friend uh, and was, was my business partner. Um, uh -huh. And uh, he's got uh, the concessions at Dodger Stadium. Sells a sports memorabilia there at uh, Staples Center. So he's still in that business? Oh, absolutely. Still... Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And... Uh, um, You know, interesting story. When I first got involved with Harlan, I was, I was saying, you know, the first uh, one of the first uh, projects that I worked on with Harlan, he did a deal with uh, Ronald Reagan uh, and Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, oh, I remember you told me that. Yeah, where uh, you know they too. had those uh, iconic meetings, really uh, history-changing meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, What was the deal, though? And uh, yeah, so he got uh, Reagan to sign. Uh, a bunch of uh, photos, uh, baseballs, you know, di various different things. Uh, there was a great photo of uh, Reagan and Gorbachev together. Did Gorbachev sign, sign anything? Well, that was, yes. Yeah, so first uh, we had uh, Reagan uh, sign uh, the items, uh, you know, mm -hmm. who I think is still considered one of the, the most uh, liked presidents that, you know, we've had uh, in recent times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And then uh, Gorbachev uh, countersided. So he flew to Moscow with all these, you know, baseballs and photos, and you know, you can imagine everything that uh, they signed. And this was uh, also for for uh, charity that uh, mm -hmm. he did this deal. To uh, there was a donation to uh, Reagan's uh, charity, and then also to Gorbachev's uh, charity. So we flew over there, and I was in Moscow in Red Square. I think this was in '94, I believe '93 or '94. And uh, we were in Red Square. We were in uh, one of the, um, at the time, one of the nicest hotels over there. But uh, you can imagine. Uh, I think I've been there on the Red Square. It's uh, to the to the left of the Kremlin, I think. Yeah. Right now it's Four Seasons. That could be, yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was just, um, you know, back then, you know, getting a visa as an American mm -hmm. to go into Moscow. That was still a Soviet Union, though, right? Not Russia or anything. Uh, it was after the after the wall came down, and I think it was already Russia, I believe, at the time. Well, you know, it could have still wow. been Soviet Union. So right in the midst of everything. Yeah, in the midst of that, yeah. No one and, knew uh, what's happening. You know, sitting down with Gorbachev. <laughs> Uh, in his office, you know, with his translator, uh, I remember his translator, his name was Pavel. Oh, yeah. Very, I mean, almost instantaneous uh, translation as Gorbachev was speaking Russian. Uh, he translated, uh, like I said, almost instantaneously in English and very smart, intelligent guy and, uh, you know, really impressed by, uh, you know, we, we spoke about general topics, you know, some politics, but, uh, you know, to be able to spend a half an hour with Mikhail Gorbachev uh, really was... Uh, You know, pretty, uh, 
pretty interesting times, you know, back then. I'd say absolutely. Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev are probably two of the, at least if not the most important presidents of our, you know, era, but probably of our generation, but definitely there because the stuff that accomplished by Reagan, you know, with the Berlin Wall going down and Gorbachev with the... you know, liberating countries. Uh, that were, and yeah, yeah. and the countries mm-hmm. that Kazakhstan, for example, secede right. from uh, from uh, Soviet Union, and we still have that uh, December 16th. This is our Independence, independence Day. This is where we are mm-hmm. when we are independent. And right. he definitely played a huge and role. He changed, in that. Uh, you know, world politics and uh, uh, you know the geography, like you say. You know, Germany reunited. That was a big. You know, growing up with German parents, that was a big. You know, a big topic back then because, you know, there were families literally divided. Uh, were you guys East Germany or, or West, West Germany? Germany okay. near, near Frankfurt. But, you know, we did have relatives that were, uh, I don't know the term, you know, stuck in East Germany. They couldn't, couldn't leave, couldn't, uh, you know, it was hard to go visit them. You always heard stories about, you know, going through the Berlin Wall and, you know, the checkpoint, uh, checkpoint Charlie or wherever it is, wherever mm-hmm. they had to pass through. I heard some through, stories too, yeah. yeah. You know, and it Guys was like, with AK-47s yeah, and all sure. that. Like, yeah. that, that were, uh, you know, standing guard or, or uh, you know, inspecting the papers and, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a pretty nerve-wracking Absolutely. experience to go through. And then, you know, once you're over there, you don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. over there. And, yeah, so it was... Uh, Definitely, uh, at that time, geopolitically, uh, a huge uh, event uh, when, the, you know, it just, uh, what, a month or a few weeks before, no one even imagined that the wall could come down. And then mm-hmm. it happened so quickly mm-hmm. where people were, like, taking sledgehammers and breaking the wall down and then were getting, chipping pieces getting off the Getting some of the pieces, right, for the memorabilia yeah. or, like, resell it there that was, in museums uh, or stuff. That was a big deal, yeah. So was it at that time when you realized, wow, like, it's not just sport, you're definitely affecting something on the global scale that you decided, this is something that I'm going to be involved in for a long, long time, for the rest of my life. Did you, like, realize, like, okay, uh, real estate is one thing or business is one thing, but the actual industry of sport is something that I want to do? Yeah, well, that came um, through. Ali was uh, the biggest, you know, he, like I mentioned, he had represented some very big names um, of retired athletes, but um, Muhammad Ali was clearly the biggest uh, uh, client. I wonder what went through your head when you, like, first met with Ali. And that's what I appreciate, and I sort of experienced that on myself. When you have an idol, and it's one thing just to see him and just say hi and smile at him and take his mm-hmm. autograph or take a selfie. But it's, it's such a different feeling when you're actually involved with that when guy. You're interacting with them. Interacting, yeah. and uh, you are de- doing something together, like a business, right? You're working together. Or yeah. Like, that's just something, like, a whole other level. Yeah, it's amazing, you know. Uh like I said, flying to, to Germany with Ali or, you know, going on appearances with him. It's, uh, you know, it's just a life-changing event. Um, I remember in Atlantic City, he had an appearance. Harlan had an appearance lined up for uh, Muhammad. And, uh, you know, Muhammad wasn't one of those guys that uh, wanted to go in the back door. He always wanted to go in the front door. He wanted to be seen. You know, he, he one, of the, one of the times uh, he told us, uh, you know, he spent his entire life trying to be famous now that he's famous why would he hide from his fans you know mm-hmm. go in the back door have security you know wearing uh you know he always uh, wanted to be recognized and wanted to interact with his fans and i remember one time we walked into uh one of the casinos in atlantic city uh that he was staying at i believe it was the valleys at that time and uh 
uh, you know, the casinos are always very loud. They have a slot machines going and people are yelling and, you know, on the uh, craps tables or on the blackjack tables or, you know, just whatever happens in the uh, lobby of a casino. And, uh, you know, we walk in, you know, with a small, I wouldn't say entourage, just a small group of people, maybe five or six people in Muhammad and, you know, people like right there, they, they mm-hmm. recognize them mm-hmm. and then they like kind of get quiet and they start like kind of gathering around him and then right, other right. people are looking well what are they looking at and then they turn around and then it kind of like was like a wave that That's went very scary actually when went down this. through the casino where people like literally stopped mm-hmm. playing the slot machines stopped uh, rolling the dice and the crap table stopped uh-huh. the, and everyone just like turned their head and uh we were standing there in the lobby it this. was a little bit elevated so people on the floor of the casino could see could see up the steps and uh uh, and then they had the chant uh, of Ali, and it was uh, that was a really powerful. Wow! Experience. And you were standing right there next to him next while to, they were next to Muhammad. Yeah, it's uh, you know those are those are type of things that mm-hmm. you know it, it takes a special person like that to have an effect. And again, you know, white or black or Hispanic or whatever, you know, whatever the fans were Asian, everybody uh, recognized Ali, and and uh, really, you know, you could say there he was their idol and. Uh, you know, for them to even catch a glimpse of him live, you mm-hmm. know, not even if they were close, but just to see him at a distance really uh, also was a moving, uh, a moving uh, experience for them. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's actually talk about boxers right now, the, the boxing prospects, the boxer that just turned pro. Um, what would your advice for them would be? Because, you know, I, I'm talking to them and I, and I really feel like they should get as much exposure as possible, but, uh, would you what would what would be your suggestion for their exposure because we are living in the age of social media right sure. it's not only the eye to eye you know the crowds the crowds are everywhere right now the crowds are digital the crowds are listening to this podcast yeah. how should they should how, should they be like here, here okay here's my theory here's how i see it i feel like when you're at the stage where you have several fights right and you're the you're a prospect you should basically try to get in front of every attention um, platform that mm-hmm. you can get Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, and then even then when you see any sort of journalist, any sort of uh, video camera or people with phones just there trying to ask you questions, just 10 of them and just put your face out there. Would you say that would be a great strategy or you just have to be sort of selective? No, 100%. uh, When you're a young boxer starting out, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not even really a pro debut, uh, we can use Triple G as an example, you know, when... uh, when uh, he came over to the United States, he was training with Abel Sanchez, and um, you know he, he had won a silver medal for for Kazakhstan in, uh, in the Olympics. But uh, over here in the United States, no one really many hardcore boxing fans heard of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Fisher had uh, written an article once, one of the first articles that came out on Triple G uh, through his sparring with Canelo. Oh, I remember that. And, yeah. um, that was a great one. The yeah. article. Yeah. Because yeah. he reposted it afterwards. Oh, okay. A little yeah. bit later when the fight actually happened, the, the first one. Yeah. And, such uh, a great read. And, uh, so that's actually something that w- that you did, right? That was your uh, object. Like that's was that was your objective. You have a fighter who is not well known, mm-hmm. and he's not even a prospect. He's already like a built fighter. He was a champion when he was I a champion, got like, involved with him. He was the WBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, interim uh, mm-hmm. or I guess you could say regular champion and then Felix Storm was mm-hmm. the super champion mm-hmm. at the time but uh, so when you have a situation like this what's your strategy like okay we have to build a boxer we have to make them known in the American market 
Yeah. How, how do you go about it? Well, I used a lot of uh, the context that I had built up over the years. Uh, you know, the first boxer uh, that I started working with, and this was through Harlan back then, is when Har- Harlan was the one that came up with the idea, you know, because he's representing Muhammad Ali and a lot of the active boxers, you know, were contacting him. You know, if you represent Ali, I want you to also work with me, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. And so... Uh, the first uh, boxer that we signed was Kevin Kelly out of New York, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, did commentary on HBO. Uh, he does the commentary on our Hollywood Fight Nights. You know, so I always try to, uh, you know, keep in contact with uh, the the people that I've worked with. Uh, Let me just stop uh, and say, Kevin, Kevin Kelly is such a cool guy. Yeah. During your Hollywood Fight Nights last Sunday, he actually stopped by and he talked to you, and I'm like. This is crazy. A boxing hall of famer just sure. stops by to casually have a conversation. I don't even know if he knows who I am, but yeah. he just started talking to me yeah. and explaining like his strategy, his business, you know, like vision for his things and you know showed me some pictures on the phone and this was just an amazing feeling when someone that important can be so humble and just speak to you like sure. that. So Kevin Kelly is definitely the guy. He's the man. Yeah, yeah, he and he became a world champion, you know. Um we used uh I have to say, you know, being new into the boxing business, not like, uh, you know, we had relatives or, uh, you know, people that we knew that uh, helped us uh, open the doors for the boxers. We, we really relied heavily on Ali and the, the relations we had through, mm-hmm. through Muhammad, mm-hmm. whether it was at HBO or, you know, the arenas or the different areas like that, WBC, for example. Uh, Kevin was a WBC champion, and uh, he was a mandatory, uh, I think, almost uh, for two years before mm-hmm. he got a world title fight. And, uh, you know, Muhammad was a WBC champion. They were very uh, proud of their association with Ali. In fact, the WBC, I remember when Jose Suleiman was still alive, and they had this big uh, convention in, in Cancun. Mm-hmm. And I was there with Vitaly Klitschko, and uh, Muhammad was there. So I was there also, you could say, with Muhammad or his, his family. Uh, I remember his wife, Lonnie, was down there. His attorney, Rondi Nicola, was down there. Uh, Leila Ali was there. And, uh, uh, you know, they crowned, WBC crowned uh, Ali the king of boxing, you know, basically making a statement like this is the, the yeah. king, you know. And, uh, and uh, you know, everyone was there. And the tally, you know, it, it's funny, you know, you have all these great champions, Hall of Fame champions and, legends and then Ali walks in the room and it's like a whole different <laughs> they become fans uh-huh. of uh, you know asking for autographs or photos or things like that so um, you know but uh, through the relationships that we had with Ali we were able to work with Kevin Kelly and also uh, Obakar from Detroit Oba was an outstanding welterweight fighter you know it just the unfortunate thing with Oba was he came up at a time when that welterweight division was crazy. It was all the champions were Oscar De La Hoya, Felix Trinidad, and Ike Corte. I mean, you, I don't think there's been so such a dominant generation or division uh, that I can think of mm-hmm. with all the different titles. And and Oba actually fought all three of them. Uh, he could pretty much beat anyone except for one of those guys to win a title. In right. fact, he actually knocked Tr- Felix Trinidad down. In the second round in Mexico, but then Trinidad came back and was in, won the fight. Uh, it was very competitive with uh, Oscar De La Hoya in the fight in Vegas. I remember that. W- I remember that fight well because it was 1999. It was the very first fight at Mandalay Bay. That's when Mandalay Bay was uh, very was was brand new. It had the new arena, mm-hmm. and it was uh, Oscar opening the uh, 
Mandalay Bay with uh, Obakar and it was very competitive. In fact, it was an even fight, I think, going through eight rounds. It was four to four, and then, unfortunately, uh, uh, Richard Steele had taken away two points for Oba in that, I think it was a ninth round, one for headbutt, one for Lobo. Blow, both were, I would say, you know, maybe worthy of a warning, but weren't intentional fouls, but, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, when he took two points away, then uh, Oba's concentration kind of like fell apart after that. And, you know, it's one of those things as a boxer, you have to fight through adversity, you know. You I realize, yeah, because I am relatively new to boxing too. And, and I'm realizing that um, a lot of it is so mental. A yeah, lot of it is just like yeah. you have to be at the peak of your physical condition yeah. to succeed. But also what happens in your head should be so uh, low-key, should be so calm and cool. You, it's just crazy how something, if something will throw you off, it's yeah. the whole game plan just Look changes. at, uh, I mean, you could see the very first Hollywood fight nights that we had. Uh, Suri Bochuk, he got uh, knocked down by Lucius Johnson. I remember that and was crazy. And then he like, jumped up and then he knocked Johnson down. Um, you know, but if you get knocked down, you get frustrated or, or yeah, it could have been the other way, right? He could have 100%. been knocked down and be like, what the hell? And yeah. just come and to control his game. But he was so focused. Know. Yeah. You don't know how someone's going to react if they get cut, if they get knocked mm-hmm. down, mm-hmm. if they get hurt. Look at Marco Deckman just, uh, last Sunday, you know, he got, he got hit by a couple of big punches in the first round, mm-hmm. was actually wobbly towards the end of the round. Uh, and then in the, in the second round, he came back and uh, knocked the guy out with a one punch. It was either second or third round, one of the two. But he came back, and mm-hmm. you know it takes that. You know he was definitely in great physical condition. But if you lose your focus, lose your concentration, yeah, uh, then your whole game plan can uh, can go out the window. That's a famous saying that Mike Tyson. Uh, has. Everyone has a plan until yeah. they get punched in the face or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, you don't know how people are going to react. And some people, look at Anthony Joshua is a perfect example where, you know, he knocked down Andy Ruiz. Oh, you know, I thought Joshua. Such a crazy fight. I thought Joshua was going to be a, another long reigning heavyweight champion, just like Vladimir Klitschko was when I was working with Vladimir. And uh, uh, Ruiz got up, uh, knocked down Joshua. He got up and, and then like just fought back and knocked down Anthony Joshua, caught him, and then it just seemed like Joshua never really recovered mm-hmm. after that. And whether that was mental or whatever was happening there, uh, you know, you see the uh, the thing there. You know, he's not he's fighting uh, in, in a different country, in a new city, you know, that type of thing. So you never quite know what was going on there. But uh, certainly, one of the biggest. I think. I mean, you, we were both there. That was the week before the Triple G. Right. Fight. So that was. Uh, I was there too, and uh, you know. Thanks to you. And so basically, that was, I think, one of the craziest, craziest sporting events I ever attended yeah. to. Sold out crowd at Madison Square Garden, heavyweight championship fight. It was amazing. And the, the fact is, we were sitting pretty much, I later learned that. I, I thought there were just some guys, you know, wearing the same clothing or whatever. They're just there. But we were surrounded by Team Joshua. Okay. Yeah. Because after the fight, he posted his picture with this bunch of guys, like, wearing the same uniform. Yeah. And I was like, Wow, this is, these are the guys that sat right in front team. of us. And you were cheering for Ruiz. <laughs> I was cheering. <laughs> I was cheering for Ruiz. I'm always cheering for the underdog, unless you know, unless my guy fights. But like, you know, sometimes in a boxing crowd, you gotta be, you gotta. <laughs> 
pick and choose your battles because uh, when when uh, you know those Canelo fights with Triple G or whatever, you gotta you know, sometimes not be as loud as you normally would be. I know, but it, no, I was respectful in any yeah. case. But like seeing his team just being completely like, all right, we got this, we got this. Sure. There was some oh, girls there. Very like, confident. Yeah, it's gonna be fine. Like first knockdown, like oh, it's fine. It's just a flash one. You know, yeah. they still were so composed and saying it's going going to be good. Yeah. But I could see how the you know the whole rhythm, how the pace has been changing, and when I was looking at them and the, just the horror on their faces right. when the whole thing happened sure. and, it's probably and the shock. first knocked down the second knock was shock and then there was yeah. some dude in front of me and his girlfriend and the dude was in such a, he was throwing such a tantrum wow. he started kicking the fence he started you know he wanted to leave He and then Mick Mill the rapper the famous rapper just yeah. passing by he's like st- stood up he was right in front of us too just like alright we're gonna we, we're out of here because Mick Mill was also I think Tim Joshua sure. too yeah I think he was and so I'm looking like there are fights everywhere this guy is throwing tantrum Mick Mill is running away with these guys <laughs> and I'm with Harold and we were like I cannot just sustain my emotions because this happened in front of my eyes pretty right. much and yeah. I was just shaking well, that was literally one of the biggest upsets uh, you know uh, Tyson and Buster Douglas, everyone always talks about that in Japan. I remember watching that on TV, the same thing. Everyone, even when Tyson looked like he started to lose, he was such a huge favorite. Everyone was like, they, they couldn't believe it. They're like, oh, he's going to come back and knock this guy out. And then you could tell it was just, it was Buster Douglas's night. And this night was Andy Ruiz's night. But he you just, know that? He wasn't yeah, going to be tonight. And, and, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I wasn't there for Buster Douglas. I don't even know if I was born yet. I'm 27, by the way, for those who don't, who doesn't know. Uh, but like Buster Douglas Samir's, was in shape. Samir is uh, 27 and I'm 47. <laughs> 20 years older. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll pretend that that's true. Somewhere uh, in that range. Uh, I'm telling you about those stem cells. <laughs> yeah. So Buster Douglas was in shape, you know. So optically, it looked sort of all right, you know. If you don't know boxing and you don't know stuff about boxing, you're like, okay, one boxer killed another or beat another. But when you look at an Andy Ruiz fighting Anthony Joshua, this is just such an image, such, a, <laughs> such an optical freaking miracle that it's, it's an just, optical illusion. <laughs> that can be done, like you can might as well just call it an, an, an illusion. Yeah. Uh, and that was just incredible for all the casual boxing fans or the people who don't even know boxing who don't. And that was just like a huge I mean, thing. people weren't talking about that fight only because they thought it was such a mismatch. You have Anthony Joshua, who's almost got like the perfect, you know, Vladimir Klitschko, I'd say, you know, has one of the most uh, perfectly conditioned or uh, uh, proportional bodies for a heavyweight champion that I've seen. You know, the, the broad shoulders, you know, the solid legs, uh, the chiseled chest and biceps and everything. And Anthony Joshua is very similar. Mm-hmm. So you got this uh, Adonis-looking heavyweight, and then you have uh, Andy Ruiz with a huge heart, but you know That's someone that you can tell never did many sit-ups. Uh, <laughs> he's proud of uh, his Snickers uh, uh, association, and uh, which, by the oh, way, I feel like he calls out Snickers way too much for not getting paid for it. You know, well, like he's <laughs> he needs. You never to, know. Might have he might have. You think he is? gotten a deal? He's yeah. a heavyweight champion now. He was on Jimmy Kimmel. I don't you know, know, like, next week I feel like Snickers should be more vocal about this if sure. they're I mean, Otherwise, big, he should, you know, not talk about Snickers for free. That's a big deal for, for him. But, um, you know, it's, uh, there was a classic example. It wasn't uh, how he looked uh, on the outside. It was, like, what his heart was on the inside. And, and it just felt, it, he fought that night like he wasn't going to be denied. He got knocked mm-hmm. down. But he got up right away, and uh, it would have been so easy to quit at that point. You're like, you know you're the underdog. You just got knocked down. 
you're expected to lose anyway. You know, you don't want to go through the whole, you know, pain and agony of, uh, you know, getting knocked out. And he could have easily, you know, stopped or, or packed it in. And, and he fought his, his heart out and uh, came back, literally popped up. And then it looked like seconds later knocked Joshua down. And then, mm-hmm. then it was a real... A real brawl, and that was uh, very emotional for the fans of Madison Square Garden. So, what's your prediction for the rematch, and where it's going to take place? Uh, you know, you can't count uh, Andy Ruiz out. You know, he, mentally, he knows now he can hurt Joshua. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's mental game. You can take, uh, and Joshua knows he can be hurt. Uh, you know, so that 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 you have to take that into consideration too. But you know, you could look back on Vladimir Klitschko's career. And Vladimir actually didn't get knocked out once, but uh, three times uh, stoppage losses. And uh, uh, Manuel Stewart uh, started working with him. Uh, actually, was kind of co-training him during that last uh, loss, uh, last knockout loss to Lehman Brewster, but then took on the full training responsibilities. And uh, Vladimir went on a, a historic heavyweight championship run uh, over 10 years reigning as a heavyweight champion uh, not only an olympic champion but heavyweight champion so you know that's what uh, anthony joshua really needs to look at uh, they're still their friends i know they still stay in contact uh, after that fight with vladimir that's really what made me mm-hmm. think joshua was just going to be this dominant champion like kind of continuing the Klitschko reign because when when he uh, got the torch from Vladimir, basically, you know, beat the guy uh, at Wembley Stadium in front of ninety thousand people. Yeah, that's uh, also he got knocked down. He got knocked down, came off the canvas, but this time at Wembley Stadium, he got up and couldn't uh, recover. And he got and this and, time with uh, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, and uh, but he he uh, threw that big uppercut in late in the fight and, and knocked out uh, uh, Vladimir, or at least they stopped the fight. Um, he beat Vladimir, and that's where I thought uh, Josh would go on that long, uh, a similar uh, lengthy run. But, uh, boy, Andy Ruiz really upset the uh, apple cart on that one. I don't know. I feel like Ruiz going to take it next time, the second one, too. And I feel like it's going to happen in Madison Square Garden. His team is probably telling him, Anthony, let's make it in Britain. Let's make it, make it in England. But he's going to say, like, i got to finish what I started. i got to go back to New York and... You know, well, correct the record. In that the type of a situation, even if Joshua wins the rematch, then if it's one and one, that sets up. Third I know Eddie Hearn's a smart promoter, and uh, that would set up a third fight. So maybe the third fight, maybe he goes to England, gets the titles back if he wins, and then comes back to Madison Square Garden to prove that he can mm-hmm. uh, beat him there. But you know, again, I'm not involved in that situation directly, and uh, I'm sure they'll. You know, wherever that rematch is going to be, I know uh, fans are looking forward to it. And, and I know uh, Anthony Joshua is uh, desperate to get his titles back, just like uh, Vladimir was when, when he had lost. And, uh, uh, yeah, it'll be uh, definitely uh, uh, people will be tuning in for that rematch for sure. For sure. And uh, do we have a little bit more time? I just wanted to talk about how the fight nights, but if, if not, we can yeah. talk later. No, for the Azizi podcast, we're, <laughs> we're going to go into overtime here uh, at sure. no extra no extra charge. But uh, yeah, the Hollywood <laughs> fight nights has really taken on a life of its own. We just had the biggest crowd we've ever had. That was the eighth, uh, eighth uh, fight. In, uh, was it eight, eight or nine? Show, I thought it was nine. shows. Uh, it could have been nine. I actually lost track. <laughs> But uh, Doug Fisher would know. He he uh, he always keeps track of those. Shout things. out to Dougie. Yeah. But what I was asking you before is just—it's amazing what how beautiful the production is and how professional it is. 
uh, and everything is just built so well, and it's in the heart of Hollywood, in the heart of Los Angeles. You know, this yeah. is just like a, such a show, and it's such a present to the fans because they can literally just tune in on their Twitter, tune in on their YouTube page. That's just like giving such a content and such vicious yeah, and, knockouts and for face, free. Facebook and Facebook and, uh, and all that. And and if they're local, they can come down to uh, a very iconic building uh, where Jerry Lewis used to have his uh, radio show. Uh, built in 1928, and uh, it was turned into a Hollywood nightclub, which on the weekends is a very exclusive uh, nightclub. And on Sundays, we turn it into uh, boxing. Every every two months, we put on uh, some great fights. Uh, Surrey Boachuk from Ukraine. And you keep being so consistent on that. Yeah, yeah. Boachuk, I mean, headlining everything. Yeah, he's uh, really come into his own. He's 15 and 0 now with 15 knockouts. Uh, Brian Sabayo, I think, has fought on four different shows. Uh, Ryan Martin was on last year. Uh, Ali Akhmedov was on before Ali fought at the Madison Square Garden. Um, so it's a fun it's a fun night uh, for the fans to come down, look at future champions. You can tell Boachuk is right on the cusp of uh, being in some some major fights, and to see him progress, you know, at at the local level like this, where you, like you said, you can literally the ring is on the dance floor. You can walk up to the ring. You're five feet away from the ring. You can uh, watch the guys fight after they're done fighting. You know, you can uh, come up to them. They're in the audience. They're signing autographs, mm-hmm. taking photos, and uh, you know, it's a it's a special uh, experience. You know, Madison Square Garden is great. It's a mecca of boxing, or T-Mobile in Vegas, or here Staples Center, or the Forum. Um, but uh, when you're able to actually walk up to the fighters after their fight, or uh, you know, get so close to the action, you know, you, even on the balcony, you're still so close and you have the big screen behind it you know you, you know can... what's so cool yeah i was walking around um out of hollywood because i came a little bit earlier so uh-huh. i was checking out the place so i went to the yeah. second floor the yeah. first floor yeah. the coolest thing about it is i honestly think that the seats on the second floor are give you gives you like my, a better view sure. rather than you're sitting like even yeah, you have a different perspective you're looking down at the ring but and, it's so uh, close because yeah, it's an actual it's, it it's a theater it's not right. a nightclub it's right. a theater so mm-hmm. people actually thought about that how to yeah. make sure that the stage looks awesome right and that's why boxing shows are so great there yeah but the productions are so great and and they're much better than what i'm seeing on tv right now or some streaming platforms from other promotion companies then, <laughs> <laughs> we have We've gotten compliments uh, with our uh, and the stream quality know, with our shows. The quality of the stream. Many people say it looks better than than some of these uh, shows with much bigger production budgets than we have. Uh, but the whole feeling, you know, with the digital uh, billboards and um, you know the 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 LED board the and digital back, billboards are pretty you know, cool for the instant replay it's it's pretty cool well, how do you do this like I'm looking at your team and you don't have like 20 people organizing stuff like I only see like I see Mike I see I see Erica you're doing stuff and, and, and then I see some couple extra people and then they yeah. both have like their own teams but it's not like you're there like have an army of people and you're yeah. just commanding we're stuff very, it's we're, so we're very optimized. efficient yeah everyone does uh, I mean, we've been doing this for a long time, and uh, everyone does uh, multiple jobs, and uh, it works. It works. It's a very uh, small and organized and efficient team, but uh, we get great results. And, you know, like I said, we had the biggest uh, event there at the Avalon, the most people ever for a boxing match and even for a combat sports because they've had other, mm-hmm. they've had MMA shows there. Oh, really? Karate shows, and, and we, we, uh, set the record for the most amount of people. No, last time was crazy. Uh, and That's probably the loudest, loudest, loudest crowd. 
And and that was like a full, like the last to the final. Do you call? Would you call that a walkout bot? Uh, that uh, that was the last fight, or was like that's a- sometimes what it's called. It, we we called it the featured bout because uh, clearly uh, Boachuk was the main event, right? But uh, the fight with Enriquez and uh, Cuellar, they sold the most amount of tickets. This was amazing how the fans started screaming for that very last fight. Right. It was just yeah. the whole the club after after went eight on fights. Fire, that was much. the ninth fight. Yeah. And uh, they had so much energy and so much passion. I mean, these were literally two local guys fighting each other. And uh, yeah, it was a tremendous uh, energy there. Very close fight uh, between the two. And uh you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a rematch of, of that mm-hmm. fight. But, uh, you know, Boachuk got another knockout. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario Ramos, uh, uh, he's doing okay now. Uh, he did go to the hospital. He was transported to the hospital. with a, How is he, by the way? He's, he went through surgery yesterday, and, and uh, I was told that everything went well. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's always, uh, that's the, the most important thing out of, uh, you know, when you deal with such a dangerous sport of boxing. You know, it's my job as a promoter to make the guys as popular and marketable as possible. But, you know, the overarching priority isn't uh, the result in the ring or the popularity of the boxer. It's the safety of the boxers. You know, Mm -hmm. that's really, as a promoter, organizing the event, that's really uh, the highest priority. And so uh, we always take... uh, uh, special care on that just to make sure naturally it's the commission's job uh the commission doctors uh the referee the officials uh you know it's the the fighters really in their hands but uh you know that that's really uh we do whatever we can to assist them to make sure the uh, health and safety of the boxers is the priority Absolutely, and I, and I feel like the staff did a great job. You know, the paramedics uh, delivering the guy to the hospital right, right. away. Yeah. So that was that was really great. So let's conclude this conversation by talking about Sergey Bochuk and what's next to him. Because this time, I really felt like I had some sort of a feeling like he's a star. Like, okay, he's yeah. the main event. I want to see yeah. him. I'm like excited for for, for him. Like, yeah. what do you think is going to be like? Where does he go from here? Fifteen Sir. wins, fifteen knockouts. Yeah. That's just some something crazy. People know when they see him in the ring, they're going to get action. You know, it's a typical Abel Sanchez fighter. Um, you know, Abel really, you know, I mean, he's always been a great trainer, but uh, with all the knockouts uh, from Triple G, he, he really rose to to uh, prominence and uh, is known for knockouts. He trains Murat Gassiev, and uh, now with uh, Boachuk, uh, with his perfect knockout record, uh, you could tell that was his first 10-round fight. He was fighting a guy, Fernando Marin, 16-3. and three. You could tell Marin knew his way around the boxing ring. He was experienced. Uh, he had a lot more fights uh, than Boachuk. I think uh, he was, he was, was 16-3-3, so that's uh, 22 fights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was fighting back, and he was durable, and he took a lot of punches. But, you know, the great thing about Boachuk is not only is he a hard puncher, but he punches in volumes. So... Uh, he can get With some both hands. one yeah he can get some one punch knockouts but uh, between the body attack the headshots uh, you know like you said with both hands and uh, just uh, such a high uh, rate of uh, punches uh, it's hard for people to withstand that and now with this being a 10 10 round fight i think he really graduated to uh, now able you know is going to let us let me take the leash off, you know, so oh, to yeah? speak, and really uh, this is know, exciting. Put, put him in, uh, uh, put him in with some, uh, you know, real, uh, uh, real world class uh, uh, talent. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that because you know, Sergey, I, I got to know him personally, and he's such a cool guy. Yeah. And um, 
you know how they say like, oh, he's so smart, he's so smart. Like when when they talk about the boxers, mm-hmm. if the boxer you know talks, you know, uh, very literate, they're like going crazy because he's so smart, quote unquote. I, I'm not a fan of saying that, but like I think all boxers are smart or or whatever. Uh, it's, they're just people. It doesn't mean that they want another. But what's with I see with Serhii, he's so self-aware and yeah. he's so aware of what's happening around him. Right, and, and I can feel his gears grinding like in like spinning in his uh, in his brain. So right. it's it's cool talking to him. So and I talk to him in Russian, and the conversation is really great. So I, I can feel that he can be a great mm-hmm. asset in actually and, promoting himself. Yeah, and his English is getting better, which uh, really better. Uh, impressed uh, Cynthia Conte. Cynthia, we have to all acknowledge her, not only Doug Fisher and Kevin Kelly uh, on the microphone, but Cynthia Conte, who's uh, the MC and the host uh, of the show, and uh, Joe Martinez does a great job as the ring announcer. And uh, no, It's really turned into a Such a great team of professionals. Show. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, and and you can feel that the chemistry is so like fluid right now. Like it's it's with every show, everyone knows what's happening, and everything is just so great. Just works out so great. Yeah. Um, but with Sergey, yeah, I talked to him like, hey, what's happening? Like, I, why are you? Where's, how come is your English so great? Like, yeah. oh yeah, he's like, I've actually been focusing on that. I've been focusing That's on smart. studying English because he understands that this is where the market is. You have to 100%. be relatable to your fans. Yeah. And it's as far as as much as I'm trying to <laughs> to be mad translator, it's always better. <laughs> Taking your job away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually emphasizing that he needs to speak himself. You know, I'm I'm happy to stand here or whatever. If that's you know gives him more uh, confidence and more information to to talk to work with. But if he speaks himself, he is just so funny. He can be so great and so charismatic. I feel like yeah. there's a, a lot of potential. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's a great show, and and uh, Box Nation has picked it up. Their their fans uh, are excited. You know, it gives uh, these guys uh, they just you know, Bochuk's going to be one of those guys, just like Triple G, that transcend. You know, he's from Ukraine, but he's not only going to have Ukrainian fans; he's going to have multicultural fans, and I'm sure he's going to have a lot of fans in the UK with uh, the broadcast being picked up on Box Nation. Um, Abel uh, has dubbed him El Flaco because he's uh, Flaco means skinny. Yep. He's uh, Boachuk is tall and skinny, but he's got a big punch and uh, he's still growing. By the way, still growing. It's crazy. And uh, I mean, he's young. He's twenty four years old. Yeah. So, and he's one of the he's one of the only guys that can outrun Triple G. Triple G is one of the hardest working guys I've ever seen. You know, his core workout up there is just crazy. Uh, how many sit ups he does a day? I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy amount of sit-ups, and he's very fast. You know, they run up there in Big Bear, and, and Boachuk was one of the few guys, or maybe only one of the only guys, that could run faster than uh, than Triple G. You know, running is doesn't mean you're going to be a great boxer, but it just goes to the overall picture of, uh, you know, he's seen Triple G train and how serious he is in training and how uh, important his concentration, his focus is. And uh, I think he, he really learned from the best uh, up there. And, and now he's realizing it's his time to shine uh, in the ring. And, and I think we're going to see some great fights and some, a, lot of, a lot of great knockouts with, uh, with Boachuk. Well, I'm really, really looking forward to see him succeed in the future. Uh, he's definitely one of those exciting fighters and uh, guys to watch. You know? So I wish him all the best, good luck, and good luck to you. And he too. has a great translator. He's he also a, fluent in English. He has a great translator, very good-looking guy. Yeah, the mad, <laughs> a mad translator with lots of emotion. With lots of but emotion. But it makes sense because, uh, I mean, you picked up on it, you know, not only, you know, with uh, 
like the boxing vocabulary is is a very you know relatively small vocabulary, but uh, uh, you need to be able to express uh, the emotions of the uh, boxer that you're translating for, or the person that you're translating for. And I think you've you've done a tremendous job uh, capturing you. that, and and you've Thank gotten you. that's why you have a a very uh, strong following on social media. They want to oh, see. Yeah. What's the mad translator going to come up next time? Well, I appreciate all the people who are following me. And the people who follow me are actually the greatest. Like, everyone is so nice. So I just wanted to say hi to everyone who's following me on Twitter and Instagram. And That's A-double-Z. It's A-double-Z. Azizi, A-double-Z. Get it? So it's the same in Twitter and Instagram. Also, my email, if you want to shoot me an email. Anyways, Tom Loeffler was on Azizi podcast. This is my first podcast in English. So, uh... We'll see how how that's going to work out. Maybe I'll have more guests that can You'll speak to You'll have to, to have me. the Russian uh, subtitles on it. The Russian subtitles. I do post this on YouTube as an there audio, so I'll put some subtitles there as well. There but you go. Tom, thank you so much for coming and just uh, setting some time aside to talk to me. I really appreciate that. You're definitely uh, my most famous the celebrity in the house. <laughs> and I really appreciate that. So uh, that's good. Thank good. you for I'm that. Glad. I hope you get a good reaction uh, worldwide on the podcast. and. Uh, uh, look forward to you doing uh, many more of these. Quick question: When's the next Halloween fight night? Uh, that we haven't locked down the date yet. It looks like November is going to be one, and we're seeing if we can squeeze in a show in September. We're not 100% sure, but uh, uh, I know the fans when they were leaving. That's the the most asked question: Is when oh, we yeah? do this again? Yeah. No, this is definitely has its momentum yeah. right now. All right, mark your calendars, everyone. Tom Loeffler of 360 Promotions. This was Azizi Podcast. Thanks, everyone, and goodbye.